Negro. Mm? What do you need? Negro, por favor. Oh. Pásame el, el crayón negro. Lo necesito por mi dibujo. There you go. Oh, muchas gracias. You're welcome. Uh, excuse me, sir. What did you just say? Decir negro. Es el color de mi crayón. You can't call her that. That is racist and churlish. What are you talking about? He called you a bad word, a racist word. He didn't call me a racist word. He's simply saying black in Spanish. He wanted the black crayon that I had. It's not sí, a racist sí, eso word. Es lo que dice. Okay, Blanco, you can't say those kinds of things, all right? This is the 21st century. Let's try and keep up with truth and keep up with the times, all right? No more racism. No more racism, no more KKK, no more racist USA. Uh, sir, quite frankly, it sounds like you're being racist towards him. He was simply asking me for a black crayon in Spanish. I don't get what you're so upset about. I'm the black person here. I don't think you get to be offended on my behalf. I can do whatever I want. Clearly, you seem to be doing whatever you want. Scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's my and line. scene. <laughs> I didn't know how you were going to go from there, but I still set you up for it just no, in case you. there was something after that. It. Taylor, do you have any uh, any initial thoughts? You're shaking your head quite a bit over there. No tacos for El Señor. <laughs> no tacos for Blanco. Oh, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I want to say it's good to be back. I spent the last week in Nashville and in Utah. Wow, Will. I did know you, you noticed you I was, know gone. was gone. You probably noticed that I was gone because the show was just not as great as it normally is. <laughs> it was a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. But no, it's good to be back and it's good to be with you guys. We're going to get straight into our first story, which our skit sort of goes along with. This is a tweet actually oh, from the Will Witt. He put this on his Twitter Will? recently. The Will Witt. Oh, okay. Not just Will Witt, the Will Witt. Good. Oh, we're still not getting the visual, I think. Oh, there we go. There we are. Here's the tweet here. Let's look at it. So a lady got uh, pretty angry over seeing a black crayon. She said, why can't the name of this Crayola crayon be called just black? What the hell? Negro? (laughs) I didn't appreciate explaining this to my second grader yesterday. I think I will start a petition to buy a no-name brand crayon. Now, Crayola saw this and responded. (laughs) Even though she only got one like, they they decided to respond. We are grateful for the opportunity to respond. Crayola offers multiple language, multiple languages on some products to help children learn. Negro, pronounced negro, is the appropriate word a Spanish-speaking child would use for the color black. We hope this is helpful. <laughs> Who knew that Crayola was part of the KKK? I, Who knew? I had no idea. It's just so, I'm, I'm so offended by being called a negro by my crayons. No, I understand. Crayons are obviously rooted in white supremacy. And they look to stamp out any sort of minority. That's what crimes are about. We've known this for years. It's just so funny. Wokeness is truly blindness because she saw this crayon. She saw the word Negro and she wanted so badly to be offended by it that she felt the need to hop on Twitter and make a post about it with no cultural reference as to why that would be on this crayon. She just wanted to be angry and she wanted to call out a company. I don't know what she was expecting as a response to this, but this is hilarious. It's like how delusional. Okay, come on. How delusional do you really have to be? To see a crayon from the biggest crayon brand in the world. All right. I mean, Crayola, huge crayon brand. And to see it say Negro on it. Right. And to think that Crayola really just put the word Negro on it to represent (laughs) black people. Like you have to have some sort of delusion to like even for a moment think that that is right especially when right below the the negro is written noir in french so you'd have to like actively disregard the french version written below to assume that 
Like, I just don't, people's minds are so high on this woke stuff. Like, you know, people are just wired these days. So like, if you're the first one to like call out a thing of racism, you get like extra virtue, social justice points. Right. So, you know, like as soon as she saw the, the word or the letters N-E-G-R-O written on a crayon, mm-hmm. it was like, <gasps> this is my chance to score all the woke points right. and have all my friends pat me on the back and everyone knows how right- righteous I am and outraged I am over this injustice. The and clout chase begins exactly. when you see oh. something like that. And that's amazing the cognitive dissonance that you have to go through in your brain, the hula hoops that you have to jump through to think that uh, a company for kids uh, and, and coloring books and making crayons is trying to be racist towards black children amazes me. And she says, I, I didn't appreciate explaining this to my second grader yesterday. What did she you shouldn't explain? shouldn't be explaining anything. <laughs> to be a fly on the anyone. wall in that conversation <laughs> must be amazing. <laughs> amazing. Oh, gosh. Well, my white crayon says cracker underneath it, too, so oh, I understand. She, like, hold it and she's like Timmy we love Negroes in this house (laughs) don't Don't you ever write Negro on a crayon don't ever let Crayola tell you anything differently (laughs) don't let these racist crayons control how you think and feel oh my gosh and Crayola to just really to to feel the need to respond to that and they responded so kindly and and just ending the message with we hope this is helpful It was very helpful. No, I'm, I'm sure it was very helpful. We hope this is just an educational moment for you, whatever her name is. I don't know her name because her her, uh, her username is cut off in this picture, but I hope that was helpful for you. It serves to a greater thing, though, that Taylor was alluding to. Essentially that our world is bereft of truth, and we take wokeness and put it above truth and put it above anything else so that, you know, instead of looking for what this actually means you immediately call it out as something that should be destroyed or shamed that's like what we've gotten to as a society and it's like yeah this is one example i guess she didn't have many likes on the tweet and it's kind of blown up and like whatever i I understand that okay i see this in a vacuum and i understand but it's a larger cultural problem Mm -hmm. where instead of looking at something and saying well hmm why is this here why is this this statue of a confederate monument here why is this historical piece here why is this word here that i should maybe know instead of looking at why it's there that you just immediately see it and say how can I take a dump all over this and so the other people around me will like think that I'm great right. and that's what our culture has come to nowadays it's sad how do I get to seek virtue off of this how right. do I get points off of this how can I make this woke it's no longer about actually how can finding I make this about me yeah, yeah yeah it's it's not about finding actual injustice anymore it's about perceived injustice and about making up injustice and you get points for that now so it's crazy which is actually a perfect segue into our next story this is coming from Bill Maher's late night show he reacted to a story that we actually reacted to on this show earlier about Peter Bogosian a professor from Portland who ended up resigning from his uh, school and and choosing to do so because of the utter wokeness that was sort of usurping the educational space. Now, he wrote an entire letter about this, about why he decided to resign, and it ended up going uh, very viral on Barry Weiss's Substack. So here is Bill Maher reacting to Peter Pagosian. So um, I feel like the, the, play, the, the battleground for the next elections are moving into the schoolroom universities, but especially schools, grammar schools, high schools. Um, A professor named Peter Bogosian became just the latest teacher and professor to resign this week because of what's going on in the schools. And I've been talking about this for a couple of years, and it's interesting. At first, people were going, what are you talking about? You know, if you didn't have kids, or a lot of times kids come home from school, and they don't tell their parents what they're being told in school. People didn't know. Now I think it's becoming much more of an issue and you know who who votes parents vote young people 
they got parties to go to and you know you're single you don't have a mortgage your parents vote and this guy he says about his university he had to resign it has transformed a bastion of free inquiry into a social justice factory whose only inputs are race gender and victimhood it is only outputs are grievance and division i want to read a few other teachers so you know that this is everywhere this is a teacher in connecticut jennifer tofudo resigned i decided to resign from what i thought was my forever career because I felt more like a political activist than a teacher in my own classroom. What's going on in classrooms across our country is pitting students against each other based on the color of their skin. In Virginia, Laura Morris says, I was told in my, one of my so-called equity trainings that white Christian able-bodied females currently have the power in our schools and that has to change. She then says a dissenting opinion is not allowed even to be spoken in my personal life amazing to call attention to this i love that bill maher is sort of now edging over into really what what conservatives try to talk about and that is free speech and he he elevates the story and talks about not only peter bogosian who is now a very well-known professor but other teachers who are experiencing this showing that it is a much larger issue than than one might think just simply going on twitter and and seeing you know videos from school boards and these different essays that professors are writing wokeness as an infringement upon actual learning on actual free speech and actual uh just factual learning is is so real Oh, sorry. Oh, you're coming to me? Okay. Well, Taylor, I'm coming to No, no, it is incredibly real. I mean, it's really the, it's the real real. The realest thing that we're dealing with right now. Because, it's the real real. Vanilla it's ice real. over here. Yeah, yeah, no, vanilla ice. But when you have an entire society that is built on not letting other people have an opinion mm -hmm. because that opinion might be deemed offensive or because that opinion might hurt someone else's feelings, then what do you get as a society? You get weak people who can't deal with any sort of conflict or anything else inside their life. So Peter Boghossian, I mean, him coming out and, and quitting his job for this, I mean, it makes total sense. I w if I was in the same position as him, I would do the same. I'm glad Bill Maher's cutting it, or coming out and talking about it. I don't know what the other people on the panel said about it. I don't have HBO yeah, to watch his show. Um, I'm sure they were fine. But it's scary times, man, because yeah. this is kind of the way that it is. It's like it... They don't totally operate on an anti-First Amendment route, mm -hmm. okay, because him being a university professor and the people in charge of the university coming and saying you can't teach about this is not an infringement on your First Amendment rights, but it is an infringement on you being able to say true things, which isn't really a protected thing in the Constitution, but he's not having his First Amendment rights specifically infringed upon. So that's kind of this gray area that these people work on when you're at this university level, and it's like we're going to tell you that we're not going to take away your right to say it, but if you do say it, we're going to totally shame you and make sure that you don't get funding and make sure that the students all hate you and are allowed to write horrible things about you in the student newspaper and, and write Nazi symbols on the bathrooms about you and all that's going to be totally fine, but we're not really taking away your First Amendment right. And that's how they work on this. Yeah, that's the same thing that happened too to um, uh, at Evergreen with Brett um, Weinstein and, and Heather mm -hmm. Hanging a couple of years ago. We've seen this over and over again. I tell you, I, I actually sympathize with the professors and teachers in these situations because these are people who have dedicated their entire lives and career to, in the professor's case, free inquiry and the exploration of ideas and trying to help students how to learn to think critically and think for themselves and be exposed to different perspectives and ideas. And that's what, if you read Bogosian's um, resignation letter, that's exactly what 
what he's talking about. And then right. for some of these middle school, high school, elementary school teachers who are being forced to indoctrinate students and teach curriculum that is clearly against their, not only against their values, but, you know, you're teaching them what to think instead of how to think. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you imagine and devoting your entire life to something and all of a sudden you're now being told, like, you're not allowed to do your job according to the, you know, traditional sense of what it means to educate someone. You're required now to teach these radical ideas and teach this radical ideology as fact. And anything less than that is unacceptable. And, you know, it, it, it is a courageous thing to say, no, I'm not going to do that. But I, I feel for them and sympathize for them because you're having to walk away from everything you've invested your entire life in. And then where do you go from there? You know, I mean, I'm sure there are other schools and those, you know, school choice. There should be mm-hmm. other places to go that do enshrine truth and do um, hold to liberal values and don't um, teach indoctrination. But um, it, it is sad because even then you develop relationships with your students and they, they genuinely care. Right? You know, right. if you know teachers that are good teachers, they genuinely care about their students and, their, and the people that they have the opportunity to invest into their lives for a season. And, um, you know, just it's just such a shame because good teachers are rare enough to find. And the fact that they're being forced out of their jobs now mm-hmm. um, just for refusing to indoctrinate is, is really sad. Yeah. And forget that that not, that ideology is not only harmful to the professors and teachers who are trying to do a good job, but it's mostly harmful to the students. Now, if you are a, a woke leftist or you believe in socialism or communism, by all means, sure, that's, that's fine. Explain why you believe that. And I, and I will listen. But when you're in college and you're, you're talking about these ideologies, you should hear all different opinions. You should hear all different stories. You should hear all different ideologies. And that will either make your stance stronger or it will make your stance crumble. But you should never sort of blockade yourself off from hearing the opinions of others, hearing the theories of others, hearing what other people have to say, because it's not going to help you in the long run. And, and again, if you listen to everything and all the different opinions and the spectrum of ideas and you still land where you're at with the with the wokeism and the socialism and the communism, by all means, you, you did your due diligence. But now we're not even asking students to do due diligence. We are just asking them to show up in a classroom where they will get their, their one-size-fits-all education, and we're sending them on their way into the world where we know these things don't work. So it's just really sad, not only for the professors and the teachers, but also for the students. Yeah, they don't know any better. They don't, and they will never know any better if you keep exiling professors who want to actually teach out of the classroom. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm only slightly older than you guys, but I, in my high school and even college experience, um, it was still basically normal education. You know, like you in college, like there was that old Marxist professor, some, you know, like the, the, you know, super liberal leftist professor Mm -hmm. in the humanities department who you had to take one of his classes for your degree, but everyone knew he's kind of the crazy guy and sure he'd spout some radical ideas, but it was like, oh, that's the radical ideas guy in the corner. And it's like, it's okay to be exposed to those ideas, you know, but when you have the entire institution now making policies that require every teacher to teach, um, to teach this woke stuff as fact, or if it's not even like a, um, you know, in the curriculum, but it's just the ideology is so pervasive among every single professor. Like, what is it like 95% of uh, university professors in Ivy league institutions donate to, you know, Democrats or whatever. Like, um, when you have such ideological um, homogeneity among, and it's all on one side, and they're all beating the same drum, indoctrinating students with one worldview, and their worldview of like radical leftism informs how they teach, then you have a serious problem, and you're not. It's not about free inquiry. You're teaching anyone how to think. You're teaching them, you know, again, what to think instead of how to think critically. When yeah. did you start university? Two thousand nine. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. 2009. Because, okay. like, in, in 2008, I mean, this is how far it's come. In 2008. You just, you just outed my, you know, docs yeah. language. Oh. <laughs> oh, they're going to find you now. You better run and hide, Taylor. No, in, in 2008, I mean, they were, um, like, Obama and some of those other Democrats. I mean, they were still saying voting on, you know, getting a border fence on the on the southern border. They were still against you know? gay marriage, by the way. They were still against gay marriage. They right. were, like, against illegal immigration, knowing that it cut union, knowing that it cut wages for workers in America. Like, even people on the left used to be more populist in their in their messaging and saying that, you know, we are for the people. And now look at it. Now look at the, the Democrat Party platform or, or the left platform, you know, and, and the things that they preach about and talk about. I mean, they are against... Uh, I mean, they're all for illegal immigration and basically giving amnesty to any illegal immigrant in this country. They're all for the woke stuff, all about the, their populist message is gone. It's all elite message. So like, yeah, Taylor went to school and things were a lot easier. But like if Amla went to school right now, mm -hmm. I mean, it's way different. different. It's yeah. changed so quickly. Mm -hmm. oh, it changed yeah. just incredibly quickly. I can think about when I was in middle school and high school. And it's like I definitely had a couple of leftist teachers, but I knew they were leftist teachers and they stood out from the other people who were educating me. And uh, that's not the case anymore, really. I feel like all of it is sort of... Uh, it's just so interwoven in everything that kids get taught nowadays, whether that's in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, it is everywhere. I don't remember ever being indoctrinated in elementary school. I don't remember ever really having it in middle school. It wasn't until high school and we got into these sort of contentious elections that I started to see, oh, well, I know that teacher's conservative and I know that teacher is a leftist. What about you? Did you have? Well, in high school, I mean, all I was worried about was you know, girls. And, yeah, but did and you notice? Stuff, you know, I had no idea. I didn't even know what leftism was when I was in high school. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. All I cared about was going and like partying and, you know, hanging out with my friends and I got good grades and everything. But it was like, you know, I, I, I had no idea what any of that stuff was. Just dazed and confused no was your whole really dazed and confused. I definitely, I, no I definitely knew what it was in high school, but that's because I was the one pushing it. And I was yeah, definitely well, like, I was definitely yeah. like, oh, that's that weird kid who like really cares about politics and nobody else cares what she's talking about. Yeah. Like that was no, definitely me. No, we had kids me. like that. We had, I remember there were some kids in high school who wrote for the student newspaper and stuff and they were political. And I was like, you guys are weird. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's it way was more funny stuff too. to do, you know. But I'm everything's like, weird. Be, yeah, everything's become so politicized now to where well, it's not just politicized, it's it is mainstream narrative which is informed by radical leftism. So mainstream narrative pushed by academia, mainstream media, etc. or nothing. And yeah. if you raise your voice in dissent and criticize wokeness or speak out in the, and to identify yourself as an as not a member of that mainstream ideology, now you're you know a dissident and you're you're someone who's oh you're that radical person mm -hmm. who doesn't agree with all of us. And it was never like that. Even and the one that blows my mind. My my wife tells me like she was a she was a high school teacher. I, it's weird saying wife. Almost, you said my almost wife. Giggling I was like that. I know it's been fiance. <laughs> um, but she was a high school English teacher in Atlanta. In the Atlanta area um, up until about five or six years ago and at, at the, she had never heard a kid t tell them her tell her their gender pronouns mm -hmm. or asked to be you know say I identify in a certain way or any of this stuff and now that that whole ideology is like pervasive like you have to write your pronouns on the classroom door and all that type of stuff like so weird and and we had never even heard of that like five years ago so it just blows my mind you know we talk about how like you know the Obama Hillary changed their view on gay marriage you know between what 2009 and 2012 or whatever mm -hmm. but like 
the, it, this, this stuff happens so fast and if you, we, you don't feel it because it just feels like the reality that we live in. Like even like the, the way how much society's changed with the COVID and how normal it is to yep. just like have your freedoms trampled on and all that stuff. But you know, you got to be aware of what's going on and it just blows my mind how quickly, especially when it's happening in high schools, elementary schools, middle schools, they'll, those kids are innocent, moldable minds and they'll never know a world that's any different. Um, so when you reach them when they're young and can indoctrinate them and just teach them that, Hey, this is what's normal. It's normal to think like this. Mm -hmm. Um, that's not okay. Yeah. They don't know any other way. They've only known that way. So then when you have someone who's older or come on and say, you know, I, I, this is the way the world actually works or the way that would be best for the world. They're like, well, no, I grew up with trans people and, and, right. and drag time story hour when I was little. So this is the way it's supposed to be. Right. And they don't even know that, that everything they know is so backwards. I wish, I wish I was more political in high school. I wish like I had known more, you know, I don't, I wish the opposite. Well, yeah, well, you were on the wrong <laughs> I was side. On the wrong but side. like, I wish that I don't think you know, kids had, should be political. I think, I mean, nowadays you almost yeah, have you know, to be because right. it's it political to, to be when the world gets a critical so thinker and think yeah. for yourself that it's become a political thing to like yeah. not buy into the mainstream. Narrative. I would love to meet a group of young people who have no idea who's like running for president, who their governor is, who's their local sheriff. I'm like, that's amazing because you. No, I'm against that. No, I'm not at all because I wish I could. It was great. Let me we, tell you, back in my day, <laughs> if we lived in a great America, if we were in the 19. 80s well, and yeah, 90s. that's I'd what I'm like, saying. I'd be like, yeah, I don't want you guys to know. I want the culture to switch. There are things you should be worried about. That way. But because our culture is so bad, I'm like very happy that a ton of my fans are people who are in even middle school, middle school, high school age kids who watch my videos and they're like, wow, like I love this. I'm like, that's that makes me so happy that they yeah. are young and getting into it nowadays. Yeah, if nowadays we lived in a different America, yeah. I'd be like, no, exactly. no, I don't want that. But the America we live in now, yes, get your children in all of this early. Yeah, it's, okay? like, it's like how Marissa, our CEO, says all the time, we have to inoculate students against the leftist indoctrination. Yeah. Because well, the left it, is going to take them. The left is going to take them now. The yeah. left is taking We're on children defense. now. That's what it so is. So conservative, you can't be like, oh, well, I don't want my kids to be political. Your kids will be political because you send them to school and you let them hang out with other kids who are political by the left, who have been indoctrinated. So you don't really have a choice anymore. Yeah. Okay, Because if you do nothing and you say, I don't want my kids to be political, then they're going to be leftists. So you have to make them conservative or at least open to loving freedom yeah. that's what you have to yeah i mean that that's the key is lo- you said loving freedom and like yep. it's one it's, it's teaching values of uh you know of judeo-christian values of the of freedom liberty personal responsibility the things that america was founded on we need to we need children to learn about those and i did for that for that much i did mm-hmm. like in elementary school we said the pledge of allegiance every single day same here you know we like reenacted the pilgrims and did all the you know fun cute stuff that kids do that learn about civics and learn about american history and they there was no indoctrination right. there. It was just basic, simple, you know. It wasn't indoctrination in the other way either, where it's like, oh, America's never done anything wrong. I hate when, you know, left always goes to the talking point of like, oh, you're just trying whitewashed history. It was like, no, we, we learned some, you know, the dark parts too. But mm-hmm. like, you know, there's, it's become um, unacceptable for kids to learn anything positive about America. And, you know, I don't necessarily think they need to be learning about like minimum wage policy and stuff right. like that when they're young. But I mean, increasingly so because the, wow. they're 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 starting to go earlier and earlier to mm-hmm. try to get them to buy into all these leftist narratives and all these walks of life but you know it, kids should be taught values from an early age for sure yeah here's no. what i'll say i wish we lived in america where we did not have to be on the defense with our children in regard to politics when i was a kid i did not
not care about politics. Now we have five-year-olds and seven-year-olds talking about their political beliefs, their gender pronouns, all these different social issues that they should not be privy to. And it's an unfortunate, it's unfortunate that we as conservatives have to uh, bring our children into this realm at such an early age uh, and, and sort of expose them to this stuff because it is anxiety inducing when you look at it in its totality. It can make you sort of fearful of what our world is now and where it's going. And to have to expose your kids to that in defense of this crazy ideology that seems to be usurping all of our power now is really, really sad. So I hope for a culture where it no longer matters and you don't have to teach your kids about politics because no kid should have to go through that. You should just be able to be a kid. You should just be able to have fun and to, to be at a point where we have to strip them of that innocence at an earlier and earlier age is really disgusting. Kids just want to have fun. Yes. Kids, Cindy Lauper, kids just want to have fun. <laughs> uh, Did you get the super chats? Yes, I've got the super chats here. I, I, was I saying, think we need to mandate against all those kind of things being taught. I mean, there needs to be mandates against those you're things. You're going to have a question about that on your super chats in just wow, a second. Am I? Okay, yes, you are. <laughs> Here we go. WV Wild 1863 says, hey, hey, you guys. Good to have you back, Amla. Thank you so much. It's good to be back. Marcelino Gonzalez says, welcome back, Amla. Again, good to be back. We needed a break from all the toxic masculinity that we endured last week, LOL. Sure. <laughs> sure. You, Candace, and Robbie Starbuck are one bomb squad. Yes, if you did not get to see my... Uh, sort of appearance on the Candace show. I thought, I thought we were your bomb squad. <laughs> yeah, what the hell? <laughs> what the hell, Marcelino Gonzalez? <laughs> the show she does every day, and she goes on one show one time for five minutes, and now that's her new squad. Which you can check out by going to dailywire.com and subscribing. Wow. <laughs> also, my panel is on uh, Candace's show on her YouTube channel if you want to check it out and see a couple clips there. But yeah, no, this is my this is my bomb squad. Uh, sorry, but I might be on Candace again, but... <laughs> Stay tuned. Kate Mesner uh, said, should teachers be allowed to share their political beliefs? There's your question, Will. You All right, I'm going to answer it the way that fire. I want to answer it. I think that these things should be mandated against. You shouldn't be allowed to teach racism, CRT, or allow your kids to have hormone treatments. or anything. Like, those should be illegal. Like, that should be mandated against it. Like, Idaho did it. Uh, Texas did it. Other states mandated that you shouldn't be allowed to teach those things. You shouldn't. I think it should be mandated. And I'm not... Like, the people talking about, like, the mandates with the vaccine and everything. Like, I'm not anti-mandate. I am I am anti-big pharma money-grubbing control mandate, but I am not anti-mandate when it comes to stopping evil, if the government is mm. going to help do that. That's interesting. I'm a big advocate for cameras in the classroom, uh, by all means. I think we should have cameras in our classrooms to see what our teachers are teaching, uh, what they're exposing your children to. As far as political beliefs go, I think teachers should work as hard as they can not to express their political beliefs in a classroom. I think your job as a teacher is to have your classroom, teach your kids critical thinking skills, and then give them facts. Now, uh, if your kids have a different set of values than each other and they want to use their critical thinking skills to lead them down a different path of ideology or a different path of belief, that is totally their right. It's your, not your right to dictate uh, where their critical thinking leads them. So give them facts, give them the ability to discern what is true and what is false and how to use their values to sort of indicate where they land on, on the spectrum of belief in this world. But it should not be your priority to espouse your political beliefs to your students. No, it shouldn't. No. No. Yeah. But not any teacher who teaches CRT or any of that other garbage is basically espousing their beliefs to their students. I right. think I think any teacher who is indoctrinating their students with their political ideology or their worldview is a failure as a teacher. You know, it is your it is not your job to teach students what to think or yep. you know what yeah, it's your job to help them 
learn how to think and mm-hmm. expose them to different ideas. But you you have failed if you're pushing a certain ideology on them, regardless of what that ideolo- ideology yeah. is. Yeah, if your ideology is right, if your if your way of thinking is correct, kids will lead themselves and there the, by by right. themselves. They will think critically and they'll they'll land there. You don't have to push it. You don't have to enforce it. And that's the part that's really uh, distressing for me to see. Do you think it should be mandated that they shouldn't be allowed to teach it? Uh, when it comes to things like CRT, CRT, yes. Yes. Yeah. What about you, Taylor? I mean, I'm I'm I, totally fine I with- I distinguish between, like, I don't care if kids learn about CRT. Yes, exactly. There is a thing called CRT that exists, and it's some people that think, you know, that it's this you know, system of thought that teaches you that everything's racist and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't care if kids well, are yeah, about like that. It, you're not learning that. But, if, but when it's taught as fact, yes. then that's indoctrination. And it's yeah, being taught as be the banned. tenets of what society should be built on. Exactly. Yeah, it should, should be, be mandated yeah, against. It should be banned. If you go, here's a theory that was created by a woman named Kimberly Crenshaw, and here's a bunch of critical race theorists who believe this. Mm-hmm. That's totally fine. You can absolutely teach that until right. till your mouth falls off, but not teaching people that critical race theory is correct, and this is the lens that you should view, view the world through. Yeah. Let your mouth fall off. Let your mouth fall off yeah, talking you, about critical race theory. Go for it. <laughs> mine's going to fall off. <laughs> what did you just do? Do the little, the jot. <laughs> you can't do that? I don't, uh, I've never tried to do it. It just it's fat, it feels weird. Well, fair enough. (laughs) I'm going to segue into our next story. Now, Taylor talked about kids growing up uh, with this sort of indoctrination in schools and them never knowing a different world, never knowing anything different in regard to their nation and the way that America runs and the way that they should look at America. I'm 21. Will's 25. Taylor, you're... I am 25. Do you want me to expose... (laughs) I don't know. Wow. Okay. I'm 31. Okay. There we go. So... Out of the three of us, I grew up in a world really not knowing America before 9-11. I was one years old when 9-11 happened. Uh, And America has forever uh, been a different nation since that occurrence. And I've never known any different. I think, Will, you're on sort of the tail end. You were six. So you do you know? five. Oh, yeah, you were five. You're 25. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, Do you know anything different? Do you remember a different America? I doubt it because you were so young. I don't know. No. I was five years old. I don't know. Anything. Fair enough. So, Taylor, do you remember a different America? Well, kids, let me tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I do. I mean, I had like the quintessential, you know, childhood in mm-hmm. Tulsa, Oklahoma, just playing all four sports and, mom, you know, mom driving the minivan to practice and all that stuff. I mean, but uh, I remember like we'd go to airports. My dad traveled a lot. He's like missionary work. And we'd go like all the way to the gate to pick him up and we'd be waiting for him to like walk off the, you know, little gate um what do you call mm-hmm. that thing the, the little thing that connects the plane to the um yeah airport. yeah the gate yeah 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 um but we'd be well, sitting there waiting for him to pop out of that and like we're, we're not allowed to go the, the jetway ter- jetway there you the go oh okay Anyways. i'm saying you stop the gate anyways keep and going. just people's attitudes and stuff i mean i don't know it was a much more like innocent world mm-hmm. um pre and then but what really i remember more is like just how unified and patriotic everyone was immediately after 9-11 and just what a um, I don't know, just how there was such a strong sense of American pride and unity and, yeah. uh, you know, anger at our enemies and, and a desire to, like, protect the, the life, the way of life and a, and a pride in, like, the way of life that we had built and that, you know, evil people hate what we've made mm-hmm. and we want to, but we're going to make it, let it make, let their hate make us stronger and fight back against them and, and you know, defeat the evil that would seek to defeat freedom. Right. And I love that, you know, all that stuff was just so apparent and strong um, in the aftermath of 9-11. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have fond memories of back in pre nine eleven America. Yeah, yeah. It's weird because I think about it and I'm like, well, even though I 
was obviously one years old when 9-11 happened. Throughout the duration of my young education, uh, I was taught how important the day 9-11 was, how heart-wrenching it was, how unified we were, how patriotic we should be. But now it seems like the narrative is shifting around 9-11. So I wonder if our next generation coming up after us is actually going to learn the importance of 9-11 and how patriotic they should be towards America. Here's a video that Andy No sort of highlighted on his Twitter of a man by the name of Fidel Alkalani, a member of the student government in Missouri, and he's gathering U.S. flags from a 9-11 memorial and trashing them. Here we go. What's up? Who are you? Okay. Yeah, it's kind of weird when some random person walks up to a 9-11 memorial, takes all the American flags and throws them in the trash. That's kind of weird. That's kind of weird to me. Yeah, you could tell he was like, he knew he got busted, but that was the best he could come up with was, oh, it's random that you're photographing me committing this heinous act. I know. Divert away from the subject matter at hand by obfuscating the actual thing going on. Well, guess what, guys? It's okay, because Fidel has released a statement, and he stated that he is a victim, and that's why he decided to vandalize this 9-11 memorial. A victim of what? He's a victim of Islamophobia, and he wants to fight back against the Islamophobia that is associated with 9-11 and 9-11 memorials by taking the American flags out of the ground and trashing them. When you post a never forget 9-11, are you hating on Muslims when you do that? No, you're not. No, you are not. What an asinine thing to say. When you are remembering 9-11, you are remembering the first responders and the people who died and all of that. It's not, it shouldn't be anything political. You shouldn't be thinking about, you know, conspiracy theories or like any of that kind of stuff. Like, no matter what you believe, like you can believe whatever you want, but mm-hmm. that's not what you're thinking of when you remember 9-11. You are thinking of the brave people who died on that day. That is all you should be thinking about and commemorating those lives. That is the most important thing to be thinking about. Yeah, he was far more worried about his own victimization in this than the nearly 3,000 people who died in that attack on American soil, an unprecedented attack on American soil. And he's more concerned about not letting people memorialize that, not letting people be patriotic for this country, because somehow that's Islamophobia. And it's so emblematic of true leftism, of detracting from an actual true narrative, an actual true injustice to to pat yourself on the back and call yourself a victim and to sort of tout your own oppression and it's become such currency these days that probably nothing will happen to this kid he probably won't even get in trouble for what he's doing he's simply speaking his truth as as the left says i think he might get in trouble i hope he does i I hope he does i think he might get in trouble that's a pretty big step to do this but it just shows that people are getting more comfortable about this and there will be a slew of people who come to his defense and if if any if nothing else if he if he does get in trouble there will be people who come to his defense for this sort of act yeah it's like was who was it like an msnbc or cnn host recently who was like driving through some red state and saw a bunch of american flags out and was like oh i just felt the threat of white supremacy while seeing all these american flags proudly displayed right it's like no that's crazy i mean I, i find that actually kind of reassuring that conservatives have taken on the american flag as kind of our our thing because it shows that we love this country no i'm not i know it's sad but i'm saying it's like 
I'm glad to be on the side yeah. of people who love America. Right. Like that type of statement from that analyst coming on and saying, like, I saw this and I think it's white supremacy is like such a clear indication that I think we are on the right side, mm -hmm. that, we, that we are on the side of the American flag and what America stands for versus like thinking that it's white supremacy. Like, that's crazy. Well, guess what? Uh, Fidel is not alone in his thinking. Here's another story out of the Daily Wire. This is from West Coast High School. West Coast High School cancels 9-11 tribute, calls it racially insensitive in this report. Now, students at this Washington State High School had planned a commemorative event for the 20th anniversary of September 11th, where the students show up to school wearing red, white, and blue. That's really all they had to do. Uh, they were going to do it to their sports game. It was just the theme, a patriotic theme, wear red, white, and blue. Now, this event was canceled as uh, you know the principal and administration came out and said that wearing red white and blue could be racially insensitive and it supports a narrative that not everybody agrees with in regard to 9-11 and the tragedy that happened that day the racially that insensitive what do you mean doesn't agree you can agree that all those people died I mean right. what, what do you not agree with and that they shouldn't have and that's that's simply it. But apparently the American flag is now synonymous with white supremacy and racial oppression and segregation. So anytime that you wear red, white and blue, that can be racially insensitive to the people of color around you. Again, it like doesn't matter if if you think the Taliban did or Al Qaeda or, or George W. Bush did it as an inside job. Like none of that matters mm -hmm. in the sense that these people died. You are on this day, 20 years later, when you are doing a memorial or doing something where you're wearing patriotic colors, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks about it. Mm -hmm. And that person next to you, they could have a totally different theory about what happened on 9-11, okay? Lizard people or whatever, okay? None of that matters. What matters is that these people died and you are commemorating their deaths. So to take that away from the brave people who were there on that day risking their lives to save other people yep. as well as the people who died is incredibly disrespectful and that you can't put your own political ideology aside to do that is just uh, i mean it's it's incorrigible it's horrible right what is the narrative that they gain in doing this other than just being so anti-american that you can possibly commemorate yeah. uh, the deaths of people it's they can't just... they can't stand to see patriotism mm -hmm. and they can't stand to see people celebrating america or painting america as something that is worthwhile or you know patriotism as something that is good to engage in or you know remembering our history and and um, the bravery of people who of brave Americans who came together who sacrificed their lives for their fellow for their fellow Americans they can't stand to see all that they'd they it, it undercuts the narrative that they are pushing and the narrative that they believe that America is a racist you know fundamentally founded on racism and white supremacist 1619 is the real founding of America and it's all about how awful and terrible America is and and they don't they're not going to allow any other narrative to be pushed. Yeah, and it's so sad that you you stand at the foot of your ideology so hard and you just bow down and worship it that you can't even <laughs> memorialize people. It just blows my mind. And again, it's like, like I said earlier, you're going to have this generation of young people who never truly know the significance of 9-11, never truly know the unity that we experienced after such an event. And they will never have a, a real appreciation for America and what we stand for and, and why this attack happened or anything, because nobody is willing to, to stand up there and teach it. And nobody is willing to stand up there and talk about it. There are some schools that didn't even do a moment of silence for 9-11. And there was never a year that went by when I was in school that we didn't do that and talk about it. No, and, and just speaking of standing up, I mean, this is the same uh, same 
ideology that doesn't allow people to stand for the national anthem. Right. It's bigger than just about 9-11. It's this whole yes. undercurrent in our culture. Or not, I shouldn't say undercurrent. It's the overcurrent mm-hmm. in our culture right now that dominates the airwaves. That is, America is not something to be celebrated. It's not a, a good place. It's all it is, We have to believe that it's full of racism and needs to be dismantled. And anything that s- slows down the revolution cannot be tolerated. Mm-hmm. And that is a very dangerous place to be as a society. Viva la revolution. That's where we're at. It's crazy that I, I, it was, it was crazy for me to see that one kid, you know, steal the American flags and trash them. But I was like, okay, but it's one kid. And then you read about these high schools who are doing this and, and but, kids going to school and not, and you just, you just realize it's so much more than yeah. a few people. I was encouraged to see, like, did you guys see the, fo- the Army football team? Like, it was like 111 of them, and all of them had American flags, and they ran out on the field. And oh, that's awesome. They, you saw a bunch of, like, the, the old um, stories on social media. Like, I saw a video of Sammy Sosa, the baseball player, mm-hmm. like, you know, came out and ran, like, the day after, or a few days after 9-11, like, ran around the whole stadium with the American flag, and everyone's just losing their minds. Right. And then he hit a home run and then pulled out another American flag when he was running the bases. And everyone's just, like, all patriotic. And then, um, you know, you saw, like, on Instagram, people were sharing the stories of the guy Todd Todd Bowman or Beeman or something that was on United Flight ninety three mm-hmm. and you and know, Lisa came, the came operator the, yeah and came up with the plan to like take you know they were like we're not going to be pawns in this terrorist attack we're going to take back this plane and so you know all right let's go and then they th- that was like his last words and they they took over the plane and crashed it instead of allowing it to be crashed into the White House and super active of yeah. heroism and the other guy I forget his name but um he has he had a bandana and like you know Will Witt bandana and, and not it wasn't Will Witt bandana. Will Witt should be copying this guy. But he ran um back into the, you know, building and saved like his the whole bunch of people and led them out. And I mean the, you know, all those all those stories and acts of heroism, I don't want to just look back and exactly. say look how terrible you know, look how terrible everyone who doesn't want to celebrate it. There's, there was a lot of good stuff and you know it I, it was heartwarming to see some patriotism that's still around today. Yeah, before we get into our final segment, which is Will and I'm Alive, I want to share a couple stories from Utah. I went out to Utah, a vineyard Utah, this past weekend to do uh, a 9-11 commemorative speech, and it was just such a great experience. And one of the women who picked me up there, shout out to Brooke, thank you so much. Uh, we sat in the car before the speech, and she read that a dialogue between Todd and Lisa while he was on the plane and talking to uh, the operator about what to do and about these hijackers. And it's just heart-wrenching to hear and to have somebody so brave do that is just an amazing thing. So yeah, we should never forget the true patriots and fighters of 9-11. And also when I was flying back to LA, I met a woman whose husband is a Marine and they did sort of an F-16 tribute where they flew over this giant stadium and honored one of the families of the Marines, uh, of a Marine that just died in Afghanistan, one of the 13 service members and gave them a piece of the World Trade Center and all this uh, sort of Marine memorabilia for them. And it was just a beautiful thing. So there are people out there who are truly celebrating. Patriotism is still alive and well in America. Unfortunately, it's just not at the forefront of our media. Was she a fan of you? Yeah, she was. Yeah. That's how you, you talked to her? Yeah, yeah. She walked up to me yeah. and uh, uh, recognized me and then just told me about her husband and everything that he was doing. And yeah, it was amazing. So yeah. I was going to yeah. say, like, you go to the airport or something. Mm-hmm. Not really the type to go and have random conversations with people. No, I'm not. So. I'm the person at the airport that's like, headphones in. I'm just sitting there. I'm like, please, nobody talk to me. I'm nervous. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very introverted outside of yeah. our work together. I'm not an extroverted person at all. You're yeah. definitely more extroverted. Taylor's more extroverted than I am, I think, too. Well, I just like, I, I like being alone. Yeah. But I'm extroverted. Yeah, I'm not at all. Sense. I'm like, know. I'll talk to you if you talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm never going to like go out there and try to 
talk to somebody. Yeah. Anyways, into the advice segment of the day. Dear Will and Amla Live. One thing that's oh. important sorry, <laughs> for go. everyone to realize. Sure. That on this Thursday, that's September 20, what is it? Uh -huh. No, September. This Thursday is the 16th. All right, September 16th, this <laughs> Thursday. Sorry, I'm losing track of days. September 16th, we are going to be having a very special show because we are shaving my mustache on the show. And so I'm the potentially, one doing it. potentially, we're going to be trying to raise some money for charity and everything. So uh, make sure that you're tuning in to the show on Thursday, September 16th. We're going to be potentially shaving the mustache. So please, so, God, donate so we can get rid of that Please donate to get rid I'm so of the tired. mustache. Every time we go on on the air or there's a women clip video posted on any PragerU channel, the first like 20 comments are all just like about the mustache. And yeah, about how sexy it looks. It is the most divisive okay. topic in America right now. One more story. Nearly every person that walked up to me in Utah to introduce themselves had a comment about Will's mustache. And nearly all of them were negative, except for one girl who said it was good. And she had some Will Witt socks on, so clearly she was a fan. She just likes your life choices. Right, no, she's um, a smart person. But everybody else was like, ditch it, please. Well, no, <laughs> listen, you all, all of you viewers who are saying, you know, I hate the mustache, you are entitled to your wrong opinions. That is completely fine. Yes. You know, you are allowed to think the wrong thing. I'm, you know, I'm as not is a dictator. As, you know, as yeah. is everyone. You so look like you a get, dictator. Yeah. <laughs> Lily, all you can think what you like as long as you'll agree with me. No, but, you know, you're entitled to think wrong. Okay. Now let's get into some spicy advice here with Dear Will and Amala. Our first question is from Michelle Elise B. She says, how do I, why do I keep finding guys who get complacent so quickly? Do you have any initial thoughts on this, either Taylor or complacent. Will? Complacent. In this, in this scenario, what is complacent? Complacent is sort mean? of like comfortable. They're not doing the yeah. things that they used to do in their relationship. They're not as romantic anymore. They've just accepted that you're with them and now they're complacent in this relationship. Do you guys have any initial thoughts? I have some, but I'll wait for you guys. No, you You're say, smiling you so wide. No. Do you have something <laughs> important to say? No, I can't say. You, you can't you say? Go. Okay. Uh, okay, so there's there's a lot of things. I would always be weary of a man that you get with, with right out the get-go is just extremely romantic, daunting on you, wanting to hang out all the time with you, uh, wanting to know everything about you, talk every single day of your life. There's a... Uh, a psychological phenomenon called love bombing and it's what uh, a lot of men and women do when they first get in relationships and that is bombing a person with love like completely overwhelming them with affection so you get this sense of oh my gosh I'm in love with this person before you even truly know this person and before they even truly know you and you feel like oh I'm so secure in this and all of a sudden once they know that they have you and they have that attachment the person fizzles out maybe they're still in the relationship but they've, be they've grown complacent and comfortable and it's because they use that sort of tactic of manipulation to get you in the relationship with them and then once you're there they feel comfortable that you're there and that's when you get into cycles of abuse or just people who just don't do nice things for you anymore so always be weary of a man who's going to be in love with you and doing all these romantic things right out of the gate a person who really truly wants to get to know you and wants to uh build love with you is going to sort of slowly get to know you and and slowly you know, move through the different stages of intimacy that come with a relationship. So if guys get complacent quickly, they're probably love bombing you and they're probably not so interested in you as a person, but just really interested in being in a relationship. I don't know if I totally agree with you. Tell me. That sounds like some leftist. No, it's, it's, it's so real. It's so real. I'm sure there are parts of it that are real, but I don't know. It sounds kind of a little bit out there. If two people find each other and they just love each other off the get go, that's awesome. You it's don't like love nothing wrong off with that. the get-go. You don't there love There are certain times where you meet someone and you're like, wow, this person, like, 
this person checks all these boxes and it's so immediate. Yeah, like, I really happens. like this person. Yes, it's called infatuation. I'm not saying that you're going to have like the deepest connection with this person, but you can meet someone very quickly and you're like, oh, I, this person's amazing. And then they think you're amazing. And you're like, yeah. we both want to do really nice things for sure, each other. That sure. Does happen. That doesn't all mean those you, things do happen. That happens all the time. They do happen, you know? but you acknowledge. Like, don't be worried if, if some guy is like, don't think like, oh, because he's being so nice to me that he's going to just drop me afterwards. No. That's a horrible well, way to think of the world. complaining about the complacency. That's that, not that what I'm saying. Yes. I know, but I'm saying that's not in, in That's not going to happen every time. No, no, no. You, just because a guy is super nice to you. Oh, absolutely not. If a guy is nice, and that's his standard and he's just always nice to you sure by all means but if a guy is super nice to you out of the gate and then you start to see these red flags pop up a little bit later where suddenly this nice idea that he used to do he doesn't do anymore and then that becomes greater and greater and it keeps one thing drops after the after the other the dude is probably love bombing you yeah that's look why to the future with love bombing but don't yes. say just because some guy is dropping love on me <laughs> no. at the beginning that he's probably using me but or just the love question bombing. is why do i find guys who get complacent quickly no, and I'm it's not because a, they love bomb you thing. it's because they love bomb you that's exactly what it is i just don't know if i agree with the premise. okay I just it's like know. if i meet a guy right let's say i go to a bookstore or a bar and i meet a guy and the guy is suddenly like super he wants to hang out with me every single day he's super touchy he wants to move through the different steps of intimacy really fastly it's probably because the guy does not want a relationship with me he either wants the intimacy from me or he wants to just be with somebody and guys who do that will like shower you no, with that affection. Does happen. That definitely yes. does happen. But I'm saying that that's not every time. You can't just say no. because some guy is showing me a ton of affection <laughs> even early on that it's no, going to no. mean that he's going to be complacent. Oh, it's obviously just not. not. True. They're obviously Will really sweet guys. just doesn't want guys. girls that he love bombs to be put off. <laughs> exactly. <by>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, like I'm ladies. no, but like seriously, like I just I just can't agree with all that premise. No, it's, it's just not true. This is after the fact. If I agree he, with you. But this is like after the fact. If he was showing lots of love before and is now complacent, that is probably what happened to you. Now, if a guy is showing you love and he does that constantly and that's just his standard, great. You found a great guy. That's amazing. And, and women love that. But if he shows it and then suddenly it just drops off the face of the earth, that's what happened to you. That's what he did right. to you. I get that. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, saying in you retrospect. you got to look at it on a case-on-case basis. Yes, okay? absolutely. Every relationship is a case-to-case basis. But in yes. retrospect, if he got complacent, that's probably why. Okay. Yeah. Or you're boring. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's or, your yeah. fault. Or he thought he was interested and he's not. That's yeah. totally fair too. I'm not saying you're boring. Michelle is B. But, but yeah. for anyone else out there, you could be boring. But it even might not so, be the guy's fault too. Dude, so you have to like. Any man who's like super showering you in affection, just keep keep your keep your eyes on it because it is, it is not natural for humans to build such intimate relationships that quickly. So if somebody is doing so now that. Now you're going back to it again. It's we not just normal. It could be normal. I'm not saying no. no. You guys are looking at each other like no. Because there it's are not times. Normal. There are times when that happens. There are certainly times when that. Those are. Well, oh, let me let me put out this thing for you. Those are exceptions to the rule. The rule is men do not do that, and that does not happen. Now, are there sweet men who fall outside of that, and they're like in love with you, and you get married after three months, and you have a long marriage where you you stay together for fifty plus years? Absolutely. But that is the exception to a rule. And men who are super super into you out the gate, showering with you you with love, talking about how they they want to marry you, and how like you're it. Often that's not the case. Often they either have emotional issues or they're manipulating you. That's what's happening because yep. it's Sometimes. not standard. Sometimes. It's not standard. I just don't want to tell women that because a guy is 
being so nice to you at the beginning means that he's manipulating. Oh, I, I That's a bad agree. thing to tell women. I completely agree. I'm just saying if the if the niceness but stops, he might be. you know But he why. might be. No, but he definitely he might, be. might be. You have to be a smart woman and think of it for yourself. Yes. Yeah, that's like yeah. like look at it and say, oh, "Okay, like you have to be able to realize these things." And basically okay. every single time when you're in a relationship with someone, you know you can realize it. People are like, agreed, let's move on. Next, next. Move. Yes, right, now fine, we're going to move on. <laughs> Dear Will and Amala, is it worth breaking up if your partner hates to talk about the things that you care about most? And this is from Madeline Grace. Yes. Yes. 100%. Taylor? Yeah, I mean, it, if it's bothering you enough to ask a show about, then I would say, yeah, you're, it's probably, you know, if the things that you care about are, um, are not interesting to your partner and you need them to be, um, or you need them to be at least... Yeah, because it reflects even, you know, like I, my, with my wife, I don't care about like everything she, I don't love everything she loves as much as she does. Like I don't love her cat as much as she does, mm -hmm. but I love her and mm -hmm. she has a cat. And so, okay, I have a cat now and I love him and it's great, <laughs> but, you know, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to, but anyway, so like you, you make room, you know, your, your partner, if they are genuinely care about you, then they will you know, extend that to the things that you care about and express interest in them because they would care about you. Yeah, yeah. you couldn't have said that any better. That's yeah. that's my summation yeah. of it. They yeah. should care about what you care about. And also, if you don't care about the things that they care about, then, you know, you're probably not a good match anyway mm -hmm. because that means that they probably like some weird stuff or something. Uh, you don't like, or yeah. things that you think are weird. Or things like, that you're like, oh, I don't really like this. Then why are you together? Yeah, the whole point weird. of choosing a partner, uh, especially if you're dating to marry, is choosing somebody that you can share the rest of your life with. Now, if you can't share things that you're passionate about. How are you going to share hard stuff? How are you going to share things that are a little bit harder to get along about if you can't even share what you love? So right, yeah, so like if I was trying break to, up, you know, and like I, if I'm like very passionate about like, you know, let's say right wing populism. She better be the most hardcore America first lady out there. You know? <laughs> so she's got to be. You know. So yeah, sorry, Madeline. If this is your specific relationship, uh, we're all three advising that you break up. Yeah. Honestly, depending on what it is, I don't know. Maybe you care. I don't she know. She says what you the care things about. that I care about most. I'd Even like to hear about what it is you care. It doesn't about. matter what you care about. What if she cares about washing paint dry on the wall? I mean, if you if well, he doesn't care about it, then. But still, if he doesn't care about it, you're not a good match. Right. Yeah. Next one, dear Will and Amala, how to not hate working out, and this is from Nika Steiner. There is my advice for this, is that either a. There is no way to not hate working out because it hurts and it it takes time and it's tiring. So yeah, you're gonna hate it. But the payoff for it is great because you stay in shape, you look good, you're healthier so you can do other things better, you have more energy afterwards. So the payoffs are better. I get it, being in the gym or going for a run, I never run because I hate it and it sucks and I won't, I refuse to do it. But I know that if I did run, my life would probably be better than it is mm. now in terms of like health wise and stuff. So yeah, you're gonna hate it, this is at least my opinion. I think for the most part, there are fun workouts you can do, but I think you're mostly gonna hate it and then you just have to know that the benefits are better. Sometimes you have to do things you don't like very much for good benefits. Yeah, I mean, so, many, so much of what we do in life is uh, this is not happy or pleasurable in the moment, but I know something good is gonna come out of it. Let's do this now. I mean, the same thing goes for relationships. Relationships are not always hunky-dory and happy and peachy keen, uh, but you go through them because you know something great is going to happen at the end of it. Uh, yeah, you're probably always gonna hate working out. I would suggest you still do it just because it's good for you. And then uh, do, as best you can to make the workout better. If that's like a certain playlist that you like or working out with friends, there you go. Any any additional thoughts, Taylor? Yeah, I mean, short answer, suck it up, work out anyway, enjoy the results and benefits and feeling um, like a 
feeling better after you finish? And then second answer is find the workout that you can do the most. Like I, my favorite, you know, I don't, I hate cardio. I don't like to run, but I play beach volleyball and that has a ton of cardio Mm -hmm. and I get gassed every time I play because I don't do cardio during the week, but I play a lot and that is my cardio. And so if it's, I don't know if it's like yoga, if it's a Pilates class or, you know, whatever girly stuff that they, you know, they like to do that makes it more bearable, find whatever is most, um, doable for you and do that. Okay, we got three more questions. We're gonna go through super quickly and just to get uh, done with the show on time, Will has an interview to do, a very important interview. Uh, Dear Will and Amala, a 7.5 year relationship, so seven and a half year relationship, I mean, where's the ring? And he's conservative. And this is from Court Joe 8. Now, we'll just all give our own responses to this one and then we'll move on to the next one. Taylor, do you have anything for this? I mean, I don't know where the ring is, and mm-hmm. that's you know if, if where especially is the if ring? you want one. I, you're gonna make I, I hope that this has been communicated to him mm-hmm. um, that he knows. But you know, I mean, there's a pee or get off the pot type of thing um, that should come into play at some point when you're ready. And I mean, shoot, my now wife um, moved back across the country to Georgia because I had not yet we had not yet talked about it, and I had not yet popped a question uh, even though we had been seriously dating and um, it was about that time Mm -hmm. and uh, that definitely did catalyze and made it real that was like do I want this or not and um, you know I did and then that led to our relationship continuing to progress so you kind of have to stand up for yourself and and you know give him an ultimate let him know what's up there you go give him an ultimate seven and a half years just do it I wouldn't ask yeah you ask I wouldn't ask why well, you just gonna I keep would, wasting your because, life? Because uh, yeah. you know what I would say is uh, if if the commitment is not really there on his end, maybe it's not the relationship for you. And this is just my hot take on it because I feel like sometimes, and obviously this is outside of Taylor's case. I know Taylor and Ansley and a beautiful couple. Anyways, but uh, I know a lot of women. It's like when you have to ask somebody to go and marry you. It's kind of like in the it's in the back of your head a little bit, especially if the relationship does continue. Yeah, if you want it, you're not don't keep waiting if you're seven and a half. Yes, years don't keep it. waiting. But ultimatums are not great, you know? They're not great for starting off the most important relationship of the rest of your life, of your literal lifetime. Put saying, him an ultimatum and you find out right then. And then if he says yes, then you're married. And if I he says don't know. No, she should have given him the ultimatum at two years. Yeah, yeah, obvi- like yeah definitely. Earlier. But it's like a man who's been with you for seven and a half years should know if he wants to marry. And if he doesn't want to marry you, he hasn't done it. It's like if you ask him that, I think it's probably going to be in the back of your mind for the rest of your marriage of, oh, I had to ask him to marry me. He didn't do it on his own. Like he didn't do it on his own accord. Oh, I think that's how that. you think about it. Yeah, that's once, how I think. That's my hot take. Into a relationship yeah. with someone that you, your life's intertwined with them already. Yeah, you know, I would you just you got to make it known that that's what you want. And if they're not willing to give that to you, then now you have to make that choice if you're willing to live without it. And if you're not, then leave. If you are, then make make peace with it, and you're not going to get what you want. There we go. And I, I'm afraid we're out of time, guys, to answer the next two questions. But thank you guys so much for watching Will and Amala Live. Please like, subscribe, click the notification bell to be notified every single day when we go live, 2.30 PST, 5.30 Eastern. If you want to listen to us, you can go to Spotify, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a five-star review on all platforms so other people get to see our show. And Will might be having the stash go on Thursday. Mm-hmm. It's been a lot of time, and we are giving you an ultimatum. To give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Or okay? else. If you don't give us a five-star review. We need more reviews, guys. We'll I, I go back and read the reviews every now and then. And there's some great ones recently, but we still need some more. So please go. Yes, Write please. a nice, glowing review. And download the podcast. You need download to the podcast. See Will's subscribe. mustache leave. Yeah. Subscribe. Everything. So that we know that you're listening. You know? We want to know that you listen. 
because <laughs> people don't really listen to Taylor all that much. So he he needs that. <laughs> I need the affirmation, desperately. Yeah, please, exactly. please affirm us. Please help, guys. Thanks so much for watching. We're gonna see you tomorrow, two thirty p.m. Pacific. Bye, guys.